thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Amen. Bless you today. Thank you so much for being here this morning. I thank you for being here on Wednesday night as well. Hear wonderful, wonderful, wonderful reports from the Wednesday night service. And so thank you so much for your faithfulness. You may be seated today. Amen. We just returned late last night from the General Conference of the United Pentecostal Church. We were, we were to be here earlier, but a long, long delay caused us to get home about 11.30 last night. But I come home with a full heart, a full spirit, and much faith because of the goodness and the greatness of the Lord. If you wonder, really, what is the condition of this brotherhood and sisterhood of churches that we call the United Pentecostal Church International, I say this, that we have about 8,000 churches in the continental United States and Canada. We have in excess of 10,000 preachers preaching this morning in the United States and, and in Canada, not to mention our, our, our reach and our, our, foot, uh, our footprint in the rest of the world. And we look and we see that the church is seeing incredible revival, If you look with a negative intent to look, you can always find something that's not good. But there is, there are incredible things happening in the state of our sisterhood of churches is wonderful. At this convention, it's a time when ministry come from all over the world. They gather together and they take care of the business of our organization business things and the election of officers whom serve and, and those things that's just required. When you have people together, you have to have human government. And so it's just a matter of doing, this convention is a matter of doing much of those house cleaning things of the business of this human organization that we call the United Pentecostal Church. It's also, it's also a time when we have wonderful services We have wonderful preaching. We have times that are so very, so very incredible. It is a a week. It is a week when in the workings of the organization that they're able to raise funds and cast vision and cast dreams. And so every branch, every extension of the United Pentecostal Church gets their moment. They get their they, actually, they're given a two-hour time slot. The youth department will get a two-hour time slot. Um, the Sunday school department, the ladies' department, the World Network of Prayer, uh, many, of the smaller, uh, many of the smaller ministries that are represented by the United Pentecostal Church will get their moment. And one of the services will hear a word from the Lord, and preaching will be from our general superintendent. And then the two probably highlight services of the week are always... They're always the home mission service and the foreign mission service, of which, uh, of which this year is just incredible between the two services, between the two services in excess of uh, $4 million in offerings were received right there in just a brief moment. I think that is incredible, and it helps them with their vision. But also with this is a time of fellowship and refreshing for the, the ministers, their wives, and for their families. Fellowship is absolutely important. None of us can be isolated. We must have fellowship. This is one of the reasons that around the church we, we have events that are social in nature. We have times that, that we have maybe a meal or some sort of social gathering, and, and this time of fellowship is so very so very important to the church. And if you followed my wife uh, during this week, you may have seen many pictures that she posted with friends and a picture or two that I posted, but more of that social media stuff is, is her. Friends and brothers gather from around the world. And 
My little wife has gathered quite a following of ladies who look to her with respect and honor. And uh, in years gone by, when we would go, um, I would always be lagging behind, talking with people, shaking hands, hugging people, and all of this kind of stuff. But we've seen the flip in that over the years, and now she has this group of ladies who follow her, who are interested in her. She has shared that, that little prayer and those reports of the, the prayer that opens the heavens, and this has, this has given uh, many people uh, an opportunity to attach to her. And so now when we walk through those halls, uh, I carry her purse and I hurry her along and I try to say we have to be somewhere at a certain time. And, and so uh, I am just the husband. She is the rock star. And it's a time that we, but it's, it's, it's fellowship is wonderful. And it's time that I would just pause for a moment and say, take advantage of the fellowship of your brothers and sisters. Never be an island to yourself. If you want to be depressed, isolate yourself. If you want to be sad, isolate yourself. But if there's a hot dog supper, if there's, if there's a social event, if there's a prayer meeting, get yourself to it and let yourself not only feel the presence of God, but the love of your brothers and sisters because this this fellowship is absolutely so important. As a matter of fact, the early church says that the early disciples continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the church. That's the preaching. That's the teaching. That's the worship. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and also in the breaking of bread and of fellowship. Fellowship is important. You may think maybe I don't mean to spend too much time here, but this might be an important point uh, this morning. Fellowship is important. Uh, and when you see people after service uh, gathering up, uh, don't wait on somebody to invite you. You hear they're going to show up at the hot dog stand down at the Whataburger. Just, just attach yourself to that. Uh, don't wait uh, on somebody on somebody to invite you. I say this, uh, if uh, you've been around here any time at all, you ought to be the host. You ought to be the hostess. You ought to be the one that just feels compelled to create fellowship with brothers and sisters. I need my brothers. I need my sisters. I need you. And it's important that we do it, not just at church, but in personal moments that we have, that we have these times of fellowship. It's in this setting that that I have many, many friends that have developed over the years. I don't know how many general conferences I have attended, but I would say in excess of 30 or 35 uh, general conferences in my lifetime that, that I've attended. They were a part, uh, they were a part of our life. And with that uh, has been the developing and cultivating of friends uh, that the only time that I see them is at this meeting. And I don't get much time with them because we're all going somewhere. We're all passing in hallways and passing going to church or passing on a sidewalk or maybe passing, you know, at a, at, at a taxi stand somewhere, but we're all passing or moving. So, so you just act like that you, you've been seeing them forever. You grab hands, you shake, you hug necks, uh, you might pound fists when they walk by. But when all of this is going on, they're this incredible network of friends that, and, and brethren and sisters that, that make me better. The church makes me better. My brothers and sisters, uh, they make me better. And I just want you to know that uh, everyone in this room has taught me some kind of a lesson. Every person in this room is my superior, though I may be a shepherd and I may be a pastor. The, ex the membership of this church, the extended membership of this local body. I serve as your representative many times in other venues, but here each of you have taught me something. I've learned a lesson from every, every person. Now, please note this, and I say this with a twinkle in my voice and, and maybe something in my eye, maybe one eyebrow raised a little bit. I have learned something from everyone in this building. I will not tell you what it was that I learned. 
but I, it might have been a wonderful lesson and it might have been one of those other kind, but I have been taught a lesson from every person in this church. Can you just smile with me a little bit at my attempt at humor? One of these incredible friends that that I've never, I've never had a meal with this man. I've, I've never done anything more than interact with him, shake his hand, hug his neck, and have a few passing conversations. But this gentleman, uh, this gentleman that I want to share a story with about is a man who, who touches my life in passing. A ship passing in the night. That passing, but every time, every time that I interact with this man, I find myself just a little bit better off. This gentleman told me a few days, he told me that, uh, that a few years ago or a while back, he was uh, in between. He'd resigned his church and he had moved into from being a pastor to being more of an itinerant type preacher. And, and as a result, his kids had, he had just got his kids graduated out of college and he'd paid for his daughter's wedding. And, and he, he, he didn't have any money left, but he felt God was moving him to the next season of his ministry. And, and he was traveling and had to travel about 150 miles to his next meeting. And while, while he was, while he was doing this, uh, he felt like that he could make it to the destination he was going to and make it to the meeting and, and then have enough, uh, have enough cash to make it through the weekend. Uh, he's an old soul that he doesn't believe in debit cards and, and he has a credit card, but he told me on this particular day, he'd, he'd maxed out his credit card, uh, getting his daughter married off and he he was traveling now with $150 cash, and he had figured out that he had enough money for gas and for food to last him the next four or five days. And they, they were traveling, and they were going, and going down the road, he blew a tire on his car, and he, he realized that he had to have it fixed, that he also knew that the tires weren't really old, so he dug around in the glove compartment and found the receipt where he'd bought the tires. And they, he bought them at the Sam's Club. So he just kind of, on the spare, he hobbled along until he found the next city that had a Sam's Club. And he goes into the Sam's Club, and they're going to warranty his tire for him. And, and the manager of the store comes out and says, Sir, we're going to honor the warranty. And we're going to warranty the tire. And you need to be careful what kind of warranties that you buy on, on your tires. I can tell you, I've bought tire warranties before that when I get my tire warranty, I have to pay for the full price of the tire to get my, ti- to get my warranty to go infected. And that, that's not always a pleasant experience. And for him that day, it was similar. They told him, we're going to honor the warranty. And, and by doing that, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna replace uh, your whole set of tires, but we're going to just only warranty the one tire, and it's going to cost going to cost you $102 for the warranty cost of your tire. But for that, we're going to give you four brand new tires on your car. He, he thought this was a good deal, but he also realized that I only have $150, only have $150 in my pocket. So he figured it out and he, 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 had, he could figure how to have enough gas to get where he was going and he'd have to eat slim, but, but they would be able to make it with the $48 that was left. And so he told the manager of the store, he says, go ahead and put the tires on and, and thank you for helping us out. He sat there and said, Lord, will you help me through this little crisis. I, I know that I'm preaching in a couple of days and I know I'll have an offering and, and I'll be able to, I mean, I'm not destitute, but I'm in this moment where I just feel a little pressure. And as he prayed this prayer, he felt someone tap him on the shoulder. He turned around and there was a little man in his mid seventies, had a little beanie cap on. He tapped him on the shoulder. He handed him a $100 bill. He t- the little man turned around, walked out of the building and never said, a single word. And my friend was standing there holding a hundred dollar bill that had been put in his hand. He looked and realized that the Lord has just worked a miracle in my life. He's given me, I needed a hundred and two dollars to take care of this blessing and the tires for my car. But now the Lord has just sent someone and sent them with a hundred and a hundred dollar bill. And that leaves me that I have to pay two dollars to get a brand new set of tires. I don't care how that you look at that kind of story. That's a moment to rejoice. 
Amen. Amen. If you've bought tires lately, you know what I'm talking about. And so he begins to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to thank you for answering my prayer. And thank you for providing me a brand new set of tires for only $2. And as he prayed that prayer, they're waiting on the car. He felt the voice of God come to him and begin to tell him and tell him this. He said, I knew that I had a blessing in your life. And I knew that I was going to put a tremendous, I knew you needed tires. And I knew that it was going to, that I was going to help you. And And I had devised a plan for your life so that I could put a brand new set of tires on your car for only $2. But for me to work that miracle in your life and give you a $2 set of tires, I had to let you have a blowout. I had to let you break down on the side of the road. I had to let you get out, dig your spare out and change the flat on the side of the road. I had to let you kneel down and get the rocks and gravel of the road. You've changed the tire on the side of the road. It's never comfortable. It's never easy. But the Lord began to tell him, I was trying to put a brand new set of $2 tires in your life, but I had to let you go through trouble and I had to let you go through a flat tire. I had to let you break down so I could get you there into that present circumstance where that you could see this wonderful thing that I had planned to happen for you. I have lived in that place too many times. And when I consider this miracle and this story, I can only reflect on the many times that God has put me in places that I didn't understand. Place me in a circumstance that I was not comfortable with. Put me down a road that I was not happy with in any way. But I consider these things, I reflect on them, and I remember that more than one time in my life, God has allowed something to transpire in my life so he could position me to take care of something that he knew that needed to be taken care of. Too many times my flesh has risen up and I've allowed my flesh to get overwrought with frustrations and hurts and worries of my circumstance only to learn after the fact that God was putting me in a place. God was arranging the affairs of my life and of my circumstance where he could put me right where he wanted me. He had to position me in such a way that the answer could come. And then that brings me to a realization that I must accept and I realize, I cognize, or whatever word you try to use when you're grasping to understand the greatness and the ways of God. And then I come to this realization that I don't understand how he works. I don't know how he works. He sure doesn't work the way that I work or the way that I figure things ought to be. But I do understand this. He knows the way that I take. My steps are ordered of the Lord. Every step that I take, he puts a place for my foot to land. Every time I have a need, he arranges to take care of those things in my life. And coming to this understanding brings me to a memory of the Apostle Paul who had apparently learned the same lessons in Rome. Romans chapter 11, verse 33, he said these words, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. Paul says, who can understand his ways? His ways are above our ways. His ways are not our ways. And you and I will never ever be able to, f- to figure out how God works or, or what he's doing. While you're standing there with the troubles of life, scratching your head, trying to navigate through the current dilemma, trying to figure a pathway for you to walk. The whole time, God knows the way that you take. And you may, you may not understand why, but here on this Sunday morning, you must simply understand, I can never figure him out, but I 
I will trust him in every circumstance. He will, he will never do it the way that I think it ought to be done. But that's okay. It's not my way. It is simply his way. Romans 11 and 34 continues. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? What he means is, can anybody here in this room explain God? Can you explain God? Can you explain how he puts you in circumstances? Can you explain how he puts you in the job? How he puts you in the church? How you came face to face with someone that you might have fallen in love with and and entered into a lifetime relationship with? Uh, Who can explain him? Has anybody here ever been contacted by God and say, okay, son, what do you think I should do? Uh, Okay, daughter, how do you think I should do this? My flesh would say, Lord, I expect you to take my cell number and text me before you do anything in my life. So I have a heads up and I have a knowledge of what's going on. But he never has texted me and said, okay, tomorrow, get ready. Trouble's coming. Tomorrow, get ready. You're going to have a wreck. Tomorrow, get ready. You're going to have a crisis. He never sends me a word that the crisis is on the way. But this one thing I understand, I may never be pre-contacted by God to tell me what's about to happen in my life. But I will tell you this, that absolutely, though I never understand him, I absolutely trust him. I absolutely cast my cares on him. I absolutely follow. I may be blind and not knowing which way to go, but I have learned if I can hold the hand of the master, if I can grasp the back of his garment, if I can just somehow follow after him. He may not ask me what I need him to do, but he will take care of me every step of the way. The 35th verse says this, who hath first given to him so much and it shall be recompensed unto him again. Let me just share maybe a different way to phrase that verse being this way. Has anyone ever done God such huge favors that God now seeks your advice? Have you done so much for God that he owes you? Have you done so much for God that you can say, God, okay, now you owe me one, Lord. I did a favor for you, Lord. I I scratched your back. Now, God, I'm turning around. It's time for you to pass it back and scratch my back and return the favor. That's not uh, the way that he works. Uh, but the 36th verse says, uh, says this, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. He says these words, everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything that I have ends up in him. Therefore, always give him glory, always give him praise. So since uh, I come to an understanding that everything comes from him, uh, I will rejoice. And since everything comes from him and everything in my life happens through him, then I'm not going to withhold my joy and I'm not going to withhold my praise and everything happens through him. Therefore, I will rejoice. And everything sings up to always come full circle and be pointing back his direction again but so he can get the glory of it. Therefore, I say, I will rejoice. I will give him glory. I will always praise him. I will magnify him. When I can't see him, I will worship him. When I can't understand him, I will give him glory. When I don't know what's going on, I will give him praise. When my world is upside down, I will lift him up. When I am frustrated, I will rejoice in the greatness of this God. I think I ought to stop for just a moment and give him a hand clap. I think we ought to stop for just a moment and say, Lord, it's all about you. It's all from you. And God, we rejoice in you. 
It's here in this evolving concept of him knowing and taking care of us uh, all of the time that my mind this morning, that my mind lingers, my spirit is drawn to just look at some of these things and look at some of the incredible moments that God arranged circumstances that were beyond them, moments of frustration in people's life, uh, moments that really, it, you know, it even comes uh, from the most mundane of moments uh, on the big picture of things, uh, from the most mundane of moments. Moments, uh, you see some of the greatest works of God in our life. Uh, just a co- just a few days ago, the Chapas had a w- wedding in their family, and they were getting ready. For, they were they had made all their preparations, and the wedding was taking place. And, and we looked up, and, and somebody came, or my wife noticed. Or anyway, anyway, the family discovered that the person who was baking the wedding cake hadn't shown up with the cake. They hadn't shown up. They hadn't shown up with cake. And and so what what is what is a, what is a wedding without cake? The, the, the cake and the wedding, they never really taste very good. They, they make for good pictures. The purpose of the cake and the wedding is for the, is for the bride to smear the cake in the groom's face. And any bride that doesn't do that is not much of a bride. The cake is to be smeared in the groom's face. Is there a witness in the house here? Can anybody agree with me on that? Well, they, they didn't have a cake for their wedding. And so, uh, and so people scurried around. And before long, uh, they had a H-E-B cake sitting there. There was plenty of cake to smear on who needed smearing. And they got pictures. And it all worked out really good. But you see, it's in these most mundane of moments uh, that we're thrown off. Uh, our footings get un- uncertain. And we don't really know what to respond. Uh, the same thing happened in the book of John. The first miracle that Jesus did. They had a very similar circumstance. Instead of no cake showing up, this time they ran out of wedding punch. And since they didn't have wedding punch, and the wedding had been a long time, and people were dry, and people were thirsty, and and that they needed punch at the wedding, they began to realize that we have a dilemma. You know what happened. The Mary mother went to Jesus and said, they got a problem, son. And the Lord turned around and looked at the servants and said, take the water pots fill them up with water, and we'll have wine from that. It is in those unfolding moments of a most mundane circumstance that we can begin to see that God really cares in the mundane of moments. Now, if this was calling for a divine miracle, if this was a moment when somebody was blind, if this was a moment when there was, there was a life in this circumstance, if this was a moment when someone was, if this was a Lazarus moment and somebody was going to come out of the grave, we think those are big moments and God takes care of big moments. But in the big picture of life, not having wedding punch and not having a wedding cake is really pretty dumb and it's really pretty mundane in the big issues of life. If you don't have a cake, big deal. We'll get over it. Nobody will remember that a year from now. Don't have punch. But things in life that are so mundane in the big picture of life are important to God. And he'll look at your life and say, oh, you're struggling in this area. You have a need in this area. That's really not that big of a deal. I will step in and I will arrange the circumstances to where you get an answer or you get a miracle. But the problem is we have to come to those moments and realize I have no cake. I have no wine. I have no money. I have no strength. I have no help. I have no faith. I have no joy. I have no confidence for tomorrow. And it's in that moment that we realize God has and he allows our lives to arrive at that moment. No cake, I'll take care of it. No wine, I'll fix it. No joy, I'll step into your life. No answers, I will bring an answer to your life because he allows us to have flat tires and problems so he can position us in such a way that an answer and a miracle can take place in our lives. This is such an incredible thing to me. He steps in and the most socially awkward moments of life. It was Peter and his wife. They had his mother-in-law living with them. And it's an awkward moment. His mother-in-law was sick unto death, the scripture says. In one perspective, we may be saying, oh Lord, I don't know how to pray that prayer. I want to say, Lord, take her or Lord, or Lord, heal her. I don't know how to, how to pray that prayer. Just a few moments ago, I asked after Jimmy Lloyd's father. Jimmy's dad is is 
92 years of age. And they took him to the hospital this week. And, and the message we got from Jimmy, this, this might be the time. Dad might be about to go. It might be over with. So I asked him this morning, I said, Jimmy, how's dad doing? He says, well, he's talking about coming home. And so I just got a big smile. I said, Jimmy, just think about it. As long as dad's talking about coming home, it's going to be all right. But if dad starts talking about going home, you know, he's not talking about the family farm. He's talking about going somewhere else. And so in this perspective of life, it's okay if we've had that moment in life when we're going to go on home, but it's better when we suddenly realize that we're not going home, but we're going to come home and we're going to go back to the place and be with our families. And so Such was the case with Peter. His mother-in-law was sick. He had no clue that Jesus was coming to visit. He had no clue. He had no clue this was going on. But Peter felt compelled when Jesus showed up. Will you touch? Will you pray for my mother-in-law? And so there had to be a change that took place in Peter. And he had to be willing to ignore mother-in-law jokes. Ignore all the stuff that we socially consider. And say, okay, God, my mother-in-law needs you. And I am willing to do whatever it takes to get a miracle in this situation. I don't care how socially awkward the things is that you are facing. God can help you through a socially awkward moment. God can help you navigate moments with family pain and family trial and family misunderstanding. Don't get locked up and say, God, you can't do this. But understand something, no matter how bad the circumstances, I say it this way, no matter how bad the relationship is. God can step in and allow his wonder and his miracle to take place. But don't you ever factor out the fact that God might just have allowed the circumstances in that relationship to decline in such a way where you come face to face with the reality. I got to be different. I got to act different. I got to, I got to treat somebody better. I've got to be a better son. I got to be a better husband. I've got to be a better, I've got to be a better wife. I've got to be a better daughter-in-law. I've got, and God arranges those things and he puts a flat tire in the middle of your busy time to get your thinking in such a way that you're able to say, God, will you take care of this? And he'll step right up and he'll give your mother-in-law an extra 25 years to torment you. He'll do it. But the way it happens is when you and I come to the realization and the place that God lets these things develop in my life in such a way so relationships can be healed and things can be fixed in the name of the Lord. Has God ever helped you with a relationship? Has God ever helped you with a circumstance? You may say, no, I got my divorce. No, I went through this. I went through that. Don't say God hadn't helped you through that. I say this morning, God has helped us through things time and time and time again. This relationship thing right now is is really pounded in my mind. So let me pause here. I have 50 examples that I've written down that I can share with you and we'll never get to about three or four of them this morning. Uh, but I have, I one time uh, knew of a bride. I one time knew of a bride that was jilted uh, at the altar, at the, at the marriage altar and, and her heart was broken. The, the daddies were all mad. The mothers were crying more than the brides were. I simply say this uh, because I'm married to the mother of a bride and I've observed many other mothers of the bride and many times the wedding is more for the mother of the bride than it is for the bride. Is there a witness in the house? Just like the one-year-old birthday party is more for the mother of the one-year-old than it is for the one-year-old. Is there a witness in the house? Come on, somebody. Get with me right here. Amen. Amen. And so this little bride standing there weeping because uh, she had been jilted and, and she was disappointed and she had her plans and her dreams and she was, uh, she was looking and feeling so bad for herself when an aged wisdom pers- person full of wisdom and full of age came to her and said, baby, don't cry over what just happened to you. Instead, why don't you look at this thing and say, I'm going to not cry over what just happened to me, but rather I'm going to rejoice for what almost uh, just happened to me. Because breaking up before the wedding is way better than breaking up when you get home from the honeymoon and you got to go to the divorce court. You got to get things separated. You got to get things uh, fixed. And so what I'm saying by that is this, uh, God sometimes will let that exciting moment of a wedding break up uh, so he can save you from some stuff. I am so glad God has saved me from some things. Uh, He has 
kept me from some things. He has protected me from some things in my life. And for that, Lord, I don't, I don't, I didn't like the circumstance, but I thank you, Lord, for keeping me. I didn't understand the current events, God, but I thank you, Lord, for keeping me and protecting me from that time and from that ugly thing that has happened in my life. Has he kept you before? Has he protected you before? Has he stepped in there and taken care of things in your life before? My dad often tells a story of when he pastored down in Highland, Texas. I was just a child. And in those days, it's before the beaches had turned black and the sand was still white. And there was a large beach and you could drive all the way down the beach from Port Arthur all the way down to all the way down past Texas City, and, and, and you could just drive, and people would do that. And many times uh, we would pull off and drive a mile or two down the beach and come back on the beach road and, and go on about our ways. And, and But one day he did that. He got off the beach. He just felt he was by himself. He, he just felt like I should get off the road. So he turns off on the beach. He goes down one exit and comes back out uh, uh, on the next exit. In that little moment or two, that little two or three minutes uh, that he was driving on the beach, just a mile or so, when, when, he, when he got off the free, when he got off the road onto the beach. Uh, the highway was clear. But when he pulled out uh, to, to go back uh, to continue the journey on the highway, just between where he got off of the freeway, got off of the road, and got onto the beach, and where he was coming back off the beach uh, onto the highway, there was a major collision that had taken place, uh, and lives were lost. And Dad would tell the story, and he would say, I don't quite understand why God spared me, but he told me off that beach that day. He let me take a one-mile detour in my day, and I pulled back on. And in that two or three minute interval, there were lives lost uh, and that well could have been me in that wreck. Uh, I want you to say, I don't want you to realize this morning, you may be in the middle of the world's most misunderstood detour, but keep your faith and trust your God because he can and he will keep you. Hallelujah. I've had so many detours in life. Uh, I thought it was going well. And I find myself taking a detour through pain. I've been detoured through heartache. I've been detoured through anguish. I've been detoured through poverty. I've been detoured through disappointments that I didn't understand. Why am I driving through this season of pain? And why am I negotiating this pathway in the midst of disappointments? Uh, but when I pull back on the highway and I get back to where I think I need to be, I realize in that season, God kept me. In that season, he, he lets me and he kept me. He kept me from that disappointment and that disaster. If God has ever, I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm hung up here this morning, but I just, I'm here today to say whatever's going on in your world, realize he knows the way that you take. He knows your pathway. He knows your journey. He knows what's up ahead of you. So don't try to second guess him. Don't try to argue with him. Don't try to fight with him. Don't offer him resistance. Okay, God, if you're taking me down this pathway of pain, I'll drive through this pain because I know this pain is not nearly as bad as what you might be keeping me from. I'll, I'll, I'll take this road. I'll take this road of disappointment, God, because I understand you're taking me this way. I don't like it. I'm not happy with it, but I will be content and trust you with it because I understand and know this path way of pain and disappointment that I'm on. It may not be nearly as bad as what I might have been doing had I stayed where I wanted to stay. God's got a plan for your life. God's got his hand on your life. God's moving in your life. And so whatever happens, whatever detour that you find yourself on, I'd step back and say, God, I will trust you. God, I will walk in faith. God, I would allow your glory to be made manifest in my life. Lord, I will not second guess this trove that I'm traveling. I will not, I will not get angry at you, God. I've dealt with too many people that were going through those times and those seasons of life, and they got mad at God. They got mad at the church. They blamed it all on everybody else. And I say, whatever's going on, don't get mad at God. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. He is always there. Man will leave you. Man will forsake you. Man will lie to you. But God has never lied to you. God has never done you wrong. Man and women, they can do you wrong. They can malign 
maligning you. They can falsely, they can do all sort of stuff uh, against you, but not this God. He knows the path uh, that you're on. And you're not by yourself because when you're in the dirt, he's in the dirt. And when you're in trouble, he's in the trouble with you. And when you're in the journey, he's on that same journey with you. He allows, he just wants to give you a $2 set of tires. How many of you have been in that position in life when you're changing a tire and you get a bad attitude? No, not in this church. Not in this church. It happened to me one time. Well, a lot of times, but there are seasons in our life that the other day, Trent took a look at my wife's car, the tires on it. Uh, they've got about 50,000 miles on them. They're really about a 35,000-mile tire. And I, I baby those things. I nurture them. I put tire blackener on them so they feel good about themselves. <laughs> they bounce a little bit. They're a little bit slick, but I am babying them up till, I hope I can baby them until maybe November or December, just kind of in my mind. So I am coaching those tires through this season of their life. And so I'll spray that black and they'll just turn so black and they'll shine. My, my tires, those tires have the greatest sense of self-esteem for any set of tires I've ever had in the history of the universe. I treat them good. But they're at that place where they go down a little bit. And the man told my wife when she went to get the free air up on them this week that you need, really need some tires. And she, she shared that message with me. And, and I, I understand that. But, but I've had those moments with tires where it's a challenge. They're expensive. And, and uh, Trent looked at them and he said, uh, Dad, the Lord's blessed you pretty good because you're driving on Michelin's. You're, driving, you're a Michelin man, Dad. I said, Yep. God's been good to me. Because there's been times that I couldn't go to the Michelin place, but I had to go to the used tire place. Are you with me? And I've, I've gone down to the used tire place before, and I've dug through the Maypop tires to get the least bad of the bad to put on my car. You may have never had to live like this, but, but I testify that I've had to live like this before. And one time years ago, I had a car and we needed a tire. And, and there was a man in the church that we worked in. He had a little Maypop tire store. I mean, he got the used tires from the good tire store that they were throwing away. He brought them down to his place for people like me. And he would sell them for just a few dollars. And put. It. He took my car and said, you really need a tire on this car. He went down and put a Maypop tire on that car that had wires sticking out of it. The treads was crazy. But I I began to drive that car and I drove that car for, I don't know, probably, probably a year on a bad tire. And that didn't make sense to me what was going on. I wanted new tires, but God said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to put this man in your life and I'm going to take care of that need. And you may not have exactly what you'd like to have, but I'm going to take care of this circumstance. And when it's all said and done, you're going you're gonna to be everywhere that you need, everywhere that you need to be. Uh, I'm here today to simply say, God will put somebody in your life to help you. God will put some answer in your life uh, to help you. You may not understand uh, what it is, uh, but God will put an elder in your life to help you through a season of life. He'll put somebody that's walked that path before, and that little lady, that little older lady can put her arms around you and say, honey, let me tell you, when I had kids, uh, we had we faced some things, and this is how we got through it, and this is what we did. And as a young lady, you don't want to hear what the old ladies have to say. I, I understand that, because I'm a young man, and I don't want to hear what you old guys have to say either. But God, um, God puts people in your life uh, who can help you navigate uh, through a season. There's elders in your life. Uh, there's a man of God in your life. Don't get mad at them. Uh, don't resist them when they say, let me help you down the pathway. Uh, let me help you through this season. Don't ever get mad at God when you're going through a season you don't understand. Don't get mad at the man of God. If he stands up and yells and sweats and pleads with you to make a change in some circumstance, don't look at that with resentment. Don't look at that with anger, but say, that man's trying to help me. That man's trying. God puts these things in our life for our good. I don't know why I just said that. I hadn't noticed anybody mad at me, but if you are, 
You just got it right there, okay? Uh, amen. But God arranges things. He lets things arrange. And I don't understand how he works. But he arranges it. And speaking of tires, our first, our first Christmas and New Year's here, we had an old vehicle and my wife wanted to go and get some stuff at the store. We didn't have but $17. She backs out the driveway, runs over a kid's bicycle and ruins the tire. And I backslid. I backslid. It didn't take long to backslide. You know, you can backslide pretty fast. That song we just said, I won't go back, I went back this day. I went back. And I went back because we had $17. We needed to get some food. And um, it was like New Year's weekend or something like that. And she runs over tire. And uh, so I go put the donut tire on. And it says not rated for more than 40 miles an hour over 400 miles, I think is what it said. I said, God, what is a world record? on how, how long and how fast a donut tire can run because we're fixing to test the limits because I can't do this. And so I put the donut tire on, and she went on the store and got what we needed. We had $17. I think she spent the whole 17 for some groceries, and we got to church that night broke. Needed tires, needed help, needed an answer, and I backslid. I mean, I was upset. I, I will be, I, I, I've only yelled at her maybe one time in life, maybe twice, maybe three times. Oh, maybe once every five years. Okay, let me, let me be honest, okay? But, but I backslid. And I told her this was her problem. She caused this problem. She should be more responsible. She, I mean, just like you do in those moments. And I get to church. A little lady walks in that little storefront down there. She hands me a blue envelope. And this envelope is on my shelf in my office to this day. And there's a card that says, Pastor Smith, the Lord's been dealing with us for three months to mail this to you. And we did not listen to what God said. We hope that it gets there in time for the need that God wants to help you with. And in that envelope was a check. This is 19, uh, like $1990 we're talking about, okay? It was a check for $500. It came from Paulette and Dennis Graham from military post office in Tokyo, Japan. And they had, God had dealt with them for weeks and months. He got it in that military and through the government system of their military mail. Then it got to the U.S. Postal Service and fi- finally got to the little grandma's house that brought it to us. And it, and it all got there on that day. And if we hadn't blown that tire that day and if I hadn't acted like I acted and if we hadn't had that moment, I wouldn't be able to stand up today and said that $500 check had to go all around the world, had to go everywhere to get to me on the moment that we needed it. I'm here today to declare whatever you're dealing with now don't be overwhelmed with it here pastor today do not be overwhelmed do not be afraid stand with me I'm quitting right now do not be afraid do not be overwhelmed whatever it is God's doing in your life it may seem like it's a trip around the world but you let God unfold that thing in your life You let him unfold that thing in your life. Amen. Amen. This may be the day for the miracle tire in your life. I don't know. But if you're in this world right now, you're in this place, uh, and you're dealing with something that you're not certain how to deal with it, God might be just arranging circumstances to put you in a perfect position to get yourself a $200, I mean a $2 miracle. A $2 miracle in your life. You think about it. Life is not perfect, but he knows the way that I take. So surely, surely he's fixing this thing for me. Hector, I don't understand why you had to go through all you went through, son, but, but all of that in a cemetery, all that, look where you're at today. And we'd never want to go back and say, God, we'll, we'll go that pathway again. We'll just do it. But we don't, any of us want to walk that path or those moments again. But if 
God has to get our attention and arrange the affairs and circumstances of our life where he can let an unfolding miracle begin to bloom and blossom in our life and our spirits. Then I say, God, I will not fight you. I will not resist you. Lord, don't let my baby have to die again, God, but whatever it takes, I will yield unto you. Has anybody here had to walk these kind of pathways before that you didn't understand? Has anybody ever not had enough punch at the wedding? The cake didn't show up. You blow a tire out in life. God pulled you off the path you thought, and he saved you from a calamity, a catastrophe. Has that ever happened in your life on any level? If you've had those moments when God has kept you, I want you to come around the front with me. God has kept you. God has kept me. I thought it was a blowout. I thought it was a problem. I thought it was a catastrophe. I thought I was stranded. But really what it was, was God was using my blowout to bless me. God was using my calamity to lift me up. God was working in that circumstance that by my definitions, it wasn't good. But he was arranging the affairs of my life. He got it all arranged because he had a plan to bless my life. He had a plan to use me. There are giftings and callings in this room that God couldn't bring you to the place of your calling if he hadn't taken you through a time of trial and a time of trauma. It's in those times of brokenness and those times of pain that God helps us navigate a pathway that brings us to the place where we can be a blessing to the world around us. Can you lift your hands right where you're at and say, Jesus, I'm trying to figure out how to change this blowout, God. I'm trying to figure out how to get this flat fixed, God. But I know, I know, God, you're working on my behalf. I'm dealing with these circumstances, God. I am lost. I am overwhelmed. But God, I know you're working. God, I know you're in control. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how, God. But I'm trusting you. I'm trusting. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm walking with you, God. Your answers are coming my way, Lord. I know it, Lord. So I lift my voice and I lift my heart and I lift my head and I rejoice thanking you. And though I don't understand, God, I give you glory. And though I can't really seem to understand it or fix it, God, I'm going to rejoice in you regardless. And though God, and though God, I'm trying to figure it out, but you're going to help me, Lord.